Hey, before we get to this episode, I wanted to let you know about my latest project, which I'm super excited about. It's called Launching Podcasts, and it's a step-by-step video course to help you easily launch a podcast. I created it because so often I heard from people and brands that they wanted to create a podcast but didn't know where to start. By following my process, you'll save a ton of time, it's easy to execute, and it'll increase the quality. Head over to launchingpodcast.com and get $50 off by using promo code HUDDLE at checkout. That's launchingpodcast.com, promo code HUDDLE. Welcome to the Sports Marketing Huddle, a podcast that looks at all things marketing in the world of sports. I'm your host, Rob Cressy, founder of Bacon Sports. And joining me today is Arturo Gomez, CEO and co-founder of Big Game Air, which offers premium luxury travel for live sporting events around the country. Arturo, super excited to have you on the show. Thank you, brother. I'm excited to uh, I'm excited to talk. So you're a big sports fan. What's the best game you've ever experienced in person? Oh my god, the list is. Uh... The list is long, but um, I would say, man, that is, uh, I, you know, what? I would say the uh, probably the 1997 Michigan National Championship Rose Bowl game in California uh, was one was probably is probably up there. Um, but there's been so many, man, and we've seen such and, and also just events in general, like the Kentucky Derby. Uh, you know, is such an amazing thing to, to experience, but um, that's that's a game that stands out in my mind uh, and has for uh, over twenty years now. Awesome, I, I love hearing that. So, what I actually wanted to start with is actually how you start. I saw in a previous interview that you did that you often referred to yourself as the happiest morning person in the world, <laughs> which is something that I very much relate to. Can you share what your morning routine looks like? God, my God. So um, I, I think it's uh, it's important to note that I also have another business that is um, that is a nightclub. Uh, and I spent many years in the nightlife business and the restaurant space. But um, so I'm uh, on the weekend. I have a, a different routine because I am in the business frequently. So uh, but normally Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the nights that I, that I'm not out and about. Um, I'm up around 4.30, 4 a.m. Um, so the day gets started quite early. And then uh, typically on the days that, I, that I'm working, if I'm working till you know, 3 o'clock, 3.30, I'm up probably around 7.30 or 8 a.m. So I try to get up as early as I possibly can on every day. And just, um, you know, as my energy kind of runs out, then I just address it at that point in time. But um, there's so much that uh, my energy is at the highest in the morning. And when you wake up early, are you just yeah. starting to grind right away? Or do you do anything to help set your intention for the morning to get you in that mood? Because I think one of the struggles that a lot of people have is, well, you know what, Robin Arturo, I'm just not a morning person and that's just not for me. So how can, is there anything that you do that helps you manufacture the good vibes that you get in the morning? Yeah. I mean, I, well, I think it's honestly, I've been like that since I was, honestly, I was born. So, but, but I do, I do find that, you know, getting up at four in the morning and seven in the morning 
that's a that's a big difference. Um, and for most of the world, it's a it's a big difference. But for me, it's um, I think motivation and you know the ability to get yourself situated and organized for the day is something that drives me. Um, you know, when you get up at four in the morning, I mean, the typical routine for me is that I get up, um, I'll make a you know quick espresso, uh, I meditate, and then I do probably like 15, 20 minutes of of uh, exercise. Um, and this is, and then I'll eventually go to the gym later in the day, but I'll do a, a early morning exercise routine, just kind of help the, help the blood, uh, move. And I only meditate for 10 minutes. So it's a really, uh, short kind of concise meditation. And then I get into my work. And so whatever it is that I'm working on, I, tr I traditionally try to find the stuff that's requiring the most amount of attention and creativity, uh, in the day. And so that's, that's what I'll, that's what I'll choose. The other thing is that, you know, the, the entire world is you're not getting emails and you're not getting calls and your social media is not active. And so everything's really shut down traditionally until about a seven, eight, eight a.m. And so it, it allows me to get a lot of stuff done in a, in, a, in you know, short. It's not really a short period of time. I mean, you're talking about two and a half hours of, of actually doing work, but it's very, very focused work. So I, I, I do some some good stuff in that in that period. And, and I second that I meditate for seven minutes every day. Uh, I actually learned by uh, using Headspace and I started at 20 minutes. But then as I started to structure my life, I found that seven minutes of the practice and the good intention was good for me because I could consistently do it because I'm always looking to optimize what I'm doing during the day. Um, so as your day goes on, are there any other specific habits or routines that you have during your day that you find to be very beneficial or perhaps out of the ordinary? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say out of the ordinary. I mean, I think, um, you know, I always, I, you know, I try to go to the gym at least five, five times a week. And so that, that goes, I'll get my daughter up uh, around 7am and, and then I, I try to go through the, you know, breakfast ritual with her and, and mom. And then I, and then I move off to the, uh, to the gym and hopefully I can get to the gym by eight 30, by 10 30. I'm in my, in my meetings and, um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I will, um, you know, I'll be, I'll traditionally be, unless I have a meeting later in the evening, but I'll traditionally try to be home by four o'clock, four 30 to, uh, get dinner ready and then cook dinner for, my wife and, and, uh, my daughter. And, uh, and those are really kind of the two structured bookends for the day. Um, some other, you know, similarly structured meetings that fall on Mondays, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. But outside of that, it's, um, you know, I, I give myself a little breathing room in there to either do, um, you know, focused work or allow some freedom to take some additional meetings or calls or whatever. Cool. So, on yeah. your LinkedIn bio, it says, I'm extremely passionate about creating memorable experiences. The family of brands I own are founded by a belief that luxury and entertainment can intersect in unique ways to create one-of-a-kind moments. So yeah. take me to your mindset for creating memorable experiences. What are your key elements? I mean, it's it, it just has to be magical. And what I mean by that, it's, it's it, they become these un uninterrupted mental vacations and so if you're an event producer or if you're in the hospitality space um when you when you take when somebody comes into your business or has hired you to to create an event 
that individual really should be thinking about nothing else outside of the experience that you've been able to, to, to create and manufacture for them. <clears throat> and so the highest level, and I think that we've all had some of those experiences where um, whether it was at a restaurant or an event, um, sporting event or uh, a wedding or, or, or what, what have you, um, it's, it's where, where you're living in perfect for a small period of time. So if it's three hours, four hours, five hours, it's just everything is organized in a way that allows the guest to focus exclusively on just being wowed. So that that's what it looks and feels like to me. It's it's a it's a rarity that you have absolute perfection, um, but we have been able to accomplish it in certain 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 instances, and we certainly strive uh, as a team, you know, in all aspects and all in in every one of the different businesses that we have when we are, you know, creating experiences. I mean, that's that's part of our service, right? So that's that's our that's our business product. So if we can't deliver on those items, then we don't have much to stand on. So in theory, I absolutely love that. And I'm sure there are a lot of brands that, yeah. that strive to say, we want to create those magical moments. But quite yeah. frankly, I feel like that is the exception and not the rule because Correct. oftentimes uh, you go somewhere and there's so much in the event and experience and brand marketing space that is very homogenous. And there's a wide variety of reasons for this from people being risk averse to there's just so many people being involved in this. And oftentimes the execution isn't there. So are there anything specific that you're looking for? Because I completely agree with you. My mindset has always been to create an experience that people will never forget or they can't get anywhere else because that's the standard that I would expect out of anything that I did for myself, like if I threw a party, or when I throw a party, I expect it to be amazing. Why? Because right. that's what I expect out of going to a party. But right. unfortunately, I feel like that isn't the standard everywhere. Right. Yeah, I think it's um, you know, I think it comes with one again. It's like there is a there is a difference between striving and practicing and really marching towards the the idea and the concept of of perfection. Um, and, and as you said, we, we all know that there's curveballs that, that exist uh, in every situation, whether it's you're traveling to an event and there's traffic or it's, you know, there's a, there's a number of things that you're constantly uh, trying to compete against or you're trying to um, react against. But, um, you know, we, we, try to, we try to work through those scenarios, um, envision every, you know, every one of the things that, that we do. When we're talking about, for example, when we're talking about normal uh, standard operating, you know, business like, uh, you know, in, in the nightclub space or the restaurant space, again, it, it gets, um, when you're doing it with repetition of like seven days a week, it is hard to come into those situations and say, um, with a pra- with a, with a mindset in a practice that you are trying to be perfect every, every day, because it just, it's very, very difficult to do that. Now, when you, when you have these one-off instances where you're producing, uh, large scale events, well, you're getting a little bit more time to uh, organize yourself and to go through the motions because it's it it is a long lead kind of build up thing, and so the way that we treat, you know, our um, our events that we do um, for clients, whether they're um, experiential type type things or with brands, things that we've done, and the stuff that we do with big game air and the aviation stuff, 
it's all it's all a little different, but we still again approach it with the mindset that we need to map this thing out completely on on paper. We need to know when how it starts, how it ends. You know what time they're getting into the car, what time they're arriving to the stadium, what time the game starts, any other fact, you know, all those other external factors that could influence it, and really try to take try to take all those things into account. The good thing is too is that um, on most of the stuff that we do, it's uh, custom, so we're working with the client to uh, capture what's in their mind of what perfect looks like to them. So we, we establish those parameters. And so they say, well, this is what I would like. And so, um, you know, we, we try to manage those expectations. Um, and then sometimes we'll have to have conversations and, and let them know that some, some things may be a little uh, unrealistic or out of reach. Uh, but honestly, there's not a lot of things. We've, we've never really had um, requests that were not able to be fulfilled. Sometimes it costs more money, but... Um, Generally, there's 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 nothing within, uh, you know, without without you know out of reach. So last night I was at a bar grabbing dinner with my wife, and the beer yep. brand Stella was there doing a promotion. It was four dollar beers, or for six dollars you could get a chalice that you could paint on it. Uh, I decided before <laughs> dinner that I wasn't going to drink, so I didn't take advantage of the offer. However, as the night went on, I continued to look at the Stella representative who was sitting across the way, and I was just thinking, there was no more than 10 people in this bar, so it was empty, it was cold last night in Chicago, it was absolutely dead. But he was just sitting at a table by himself next to a row of 15 chalices, and he was just like kicking it on his phone, and I felt bad for the guy because he was there representing the brand, and there was no activity. And as this is happening, I thought that there had to be a better use of his time and the brand's energy. And obviously you've got extensive experience in this space. And I'm curious as to what a brand like Stella or any brand for that matter should be thinking about when trying to engage consumers in person, because I see this over and over and over again, certainly in the hospitality space, but I think it's something that uh, happens all across all of marketing where the intention was there and it. And to me, it almost seems like this is the way that things were always done and they meant to do good. But what it really failed, on was the experience side of things correct yeah so i think what what happened there and it's probably pretty accurate is that um stella and uh anheuser-busch gives some of uh, some of these accounts the ability to call on these type of activations so that they can get um a nightly spend so they'll come in and they'll say hey Stella, uh you know as part of their yearly uh package from anheuser-busch they'll say we're going to come in and we'll spend $2,000 over the course of the year. And we'll do X, we'll do $500 a quarter. And you just let us know what days uh, you guys want to have the spend and we'll come in and do it. Um, So I'm sure probably the owner the manager was probably trying to compete, potentially compete against uh, a miserable uh, sales month of January, because it's been brutal, I think, for a lot of people, and uh, and had this this individual uh, come out, because it doesn't really make sense to have somebody come out with this. It's not really a lot of sports. There's not really a lot of activity. And if they're not going to really bring um, a whole built-out activation outside of just walking in with chalices, then it really just doesn't make sense. The other thing is, like, 
the companies that are tasked with doing these activations for Anheuser-Busch, the, the company, the, the, it's such a Goliath behemoth budget that these guys are working on and they're trying to do it on a national level. They're just, they're hiring warm bodies. You know, they're, they're not hiring the best um, and it gets difficult. I'm not saying that, Hey, give me that budget and we're going to do it, do it better. But I've seen it in many, many situations and over the years where um, people are just hiring the wrong people to represent brands uh, and also not really giving them the proper training before they actually set them out onto the streets and, and letting them know, Hey, listen, uh, if there's five people there or 500 people there, you still have to be engaged with the brand. You can't be sitting on your phone. Um, and so, you know, those are the things that probably need to be taught and deeper ingrained because there's uh, a vision and a thought process of, Hey, we're representing the brand and here's how the brand wants to represent itself. Um, and here's the objective of, of the night. It's to get people familiar with the product um, in a way that's not pushy, but still feels uh, intact um, with our objectives and our goals aligned with our vision, you know? Yeah, and where I really saw the missed opportunity for them was that this guy at no point came up to us. The only touch point we had was from the waitress who said, hey, Stella's doing this promotion. And with there only being 10 people in the entire bar, I think what the real opportunity would have been was to create a positive brand interaction in a very personal way. So for me, as I've built Bacon Sports over the years, I'm very much into guerrilla marketing. I've always got koozies with me. I've always got cards. I'm always talking to anybody who has a, a hat on that's a sports fan. So for me, the way that I would have done this is I would have immediately been going up to people, talking about sports, just chopping it up, and, and really giving them a reason to remember me. And I, I think one of the challenges, and you mentioned that with being such a large brand there, that if you look at how nimble and passionate someone who's significantly smaller like myself can be, as opposed to this guy who is a cog in the wheel and who probably yeah. hasn't been trained on, <clears throat> what do you do when there's no sports on, there's 10 people in the bar, and your objective yeah. is to get people to paint these Stella chalices? Yeah, the other thing, I mean, the other thing you have to compete against, so you, <clears throat> that's a potential conflict, is <clears throat> a lot of restaurant bar owners, they want the... They want the revenue that these guys are going to bring in. Hey, we're going to spend $500 at your bar. But they also don't want people in their customers' faces, right? So, you know, I'm sure, um, you know, you as, as having a marketing mind, you noticed this and you saw it and, you know, things went through your mind in terms of, you know, the, the whole situation. But, um, you know, perhaps a husband and wife that went out and it's, you know, the one time that they're going out in the week may not have wanted to be bothered by some kid with a chalice, you know? <laughs> so um, it's that balance. And I, I've actually had those conversations with, um, with people that have come into our space to do some of these activations and said, you know, we, we have to figure out a way where uh, we're not just randomly coming up and disturbing people's uh, moments in time. And so, um, and I've had that happen to me where I was, you know, enjoying my dinner or enjoying my beer. And it's like, uh, no, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> you know? So it's a, it's a real, it's, it is a real challenge in trying to make sure. And again, that, that comes, that is where, you know, this, this whole concept of experiential marketing, that's, 
it, it's the word of the day. It's where a lot of money right now is being invested um, in brands across the globe are spending a lot of money in that. And so um, I think you'll see continued evolution and improvement in how those things, even the, even the situation that you experienced last night, I think you're going to see um, some, some continued evolution on how those things get more impactful, more meaningful for the consumer. Yeah, and I also think there was an opportunity last night where the bar, which is empty, I think I would love to see more of a synergy, even if it's on the specific night, to say, all right, we're in this together. How can we create a a win-win situation for everyone? Because I get that oftentimes there's advertisers or sponsors who are coming into this, but I'm so big into the experience side of things that you don't necessarily need to come up to me at the table. You're, you're correct that there's a time and a place for everything, but you want to be drawn into something. And I think there's a certain way where you can generate that magic in a way that works for both you and I. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It's hundred percent. So uh, switching gears real quick, given that Big a- big Game Air specializes in premium luxury travel for sports fan, take me into your marketing mindset for it. Wow. It's, um, well, it was a, it was a journey and still is a journey. I mean, it's, um, you know, the product that we offer is, is so high end over the top that the, the market or the demographic set for our target consumer is quite small. Um, and I think I knew that going in, but, um, I think we had hopes that it was going to be a much bigger market. Um, and the market, you know, continues to expand. I think, I think with any products life cycle, you, you have to be, um, you know, there are some, some products that just take off and that need to take off right as soon as they, they, they launch, um, other products it takes, it takes a year, takes two years. It could take even more for, for that product to eventually become something that becomes a commonplace kind of word of mouth exchange where people are very familiar with the services. And so for us, um, you know, getting, getting to better understand what the acquisition cost was, was and is for our consumer was, was part of the, some of the early stage growing, uh, growing pains. But, um, you know, our, our typical consumer is, uh, Average medium age, probably around 40 years old, 38, 40, um, and um, probably making about six to seven hundred thousand dollars a year. You know, so it's it's uh, it's obviously heavily dominant male, um, and uh, and so you can you can imagine that it is a it is a fairly tight segment that we market to. And what is the best way to reach this? And as I was preparing for our conversation, I started yeah. to think to myself, I was like, all right, well, obviously the demographics can be skewed male, higher income. And I was like, well, where would you reach someone like that in, and obviously me having a background in digital, my first default yep. is social media in digital. But then yep. I started to think about, uh, there was one time I went to a car wash a few years ago and I believe they had uh, like a Chicago luxury magazine on the uh, table there. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if uh, advertising or having a presence in something that is print, knowing that 
uh, a specific demographic may be less likely to be on Instagram, for example, whereas they may be more likely to read something that is tailored specifically to a luxury market. So where are things for you guys on that as opposed to digital versus, I guess, what we would consider more traditional or print or the ability to reach somebody with a higher demographic and more importantly, probably getting their attention. Yeah. So we, we, we have, we haven't really experimented, um, out with a lot of print and, um, you know, I, I think I've been adverse to it because of the, I mean, there's, there's an immense amount of cost associated with digital too. If you want, if you're trying to do, you know, it massive, massive, uh, you know, try, uh, pushing a huge reach. Right. But it's, I I've stayed away from, we've done some, some very, very targeted direct mail stuff. Uh, we did get, uh, some great print earned media stuff when we launched through our, our PR, PR company. And we saw a lot of traction through through that piece so we we had some stuff in cranes uh uh, departures magazine uh we had some stuff um we saw uh and so we saw a real uptick um in interest about the product there the vast majority of the stuff that were you know expenditure was done just in in um and uh more of a, a retargeting and um just building our email uh database and a lot of a lot of the marketing expenditure even today is really just done in um, biz dev. So it's a lot of calling, it's a lot of face-to-face meetings, it's a lot of reaching out to CMOs, CROs, CEOs, uh, people in the executive level, and um, and so and then we've we we continue to try to give um, some incentive to people that have given us. Uh, word of mouth type um, business. Is there an element of this where flying private needs to be seen as more of an available target or thing that can happen for the general consumer? And I guess where I'm going with this is traditionally when you think about flying a private jet, people are like, how in the world am I ever going to do that? Nonetheless, even flying first class traditionally. But now you're starting to see other companies out there that have more of a, hey, you can just purchase a seat and make it more accessible. Um, I can't think of the names of some of the companies that are out there, but they make it where, hypothetically speaking, for 25 grand, all of a sudden, over the course of the year, you can fly private for a few times, and it's more accessible to the average person than you may think of. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was really the, the, the premise of uh, our single seat product uh offering you know we uh, i'm not going to say that i that i didn't get some ideas and my mind didn't open up to to that concept when i saw what jet smarter was doing uh in their early days and i think jet smarter and companies like wheels up um have pioneered the the concept that uh, private aviation can be more accessible and uh and so we started to explore explore opportunities and options around uh, that concept. And so, you know, when you're selling single seats, cause there's really not that many people in the country that are doing it outside of actually like commercial airlines. Um, it is, uh, it's a very, very highly regulated, uh, business. 
And so you need to have approval through the Department of Transportation to do it. And it's it's a it's it's actually not easy. So um, but the 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 premise and the the thought process that we had and and I think is true and hopefully answers your question is that we saw that if you can um, if you can do same day trips and you can stay in a radius of about an hour, an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, um, which allows you to get, I mean, you can get from Chicago to Atlanta in around, uh, you know, two hours on an hour and 45 minutes on a private jet. And so the, the radius is, is quite large. When you do the same day trip, same jet, same pilots, um, you actually work on a, on a, 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 the economies of that are very, very different and uh, not the norm for private aviation. So most, most trips that you hear in private aviation are, you know, it's, 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 well, there, there are a lot of corporate level individuals that are doing day trips, but the vast majority of people want to go. They, they, it's vacation. It's I'm going here for three days, four days, five days. That's where the, the trips, the economies on the trip start to expand and get really, really expensive. It's also a factor of how many hours that plane is in the air. And so if the plane is in the air, you're doing a trip from Chicago to LA and you're on the ground for four or five days, that's a, that's a very, very expensive trip. And so however you cut it, even if you divided up all the seats, it still is expensive. So um, what we were able to do with, you know, maintaining the, the radius, uh, the travel radius uh, small or smaller um, was to create a trip that allowed us to sell individual seats to the public at around $1,100 to $1,600, it was the range. And so um, that, that we thought um, and still think, and that's, you know, that's kind of our, our bread and butter, but it's still, it's still a price that is reserved for uh, people of, of, of means. I mean, you know, you're not, you know, that's certainly like, you know, you're, you're upgrading to first class, if not even slightly higher. And so, you know, you, you look at the demographic of people that still don't fly first class, that that opt to fly an economy. And so it's still even in that even with that understanding, it still is a much tighter demographic than um, than I think what what we would think. I love and all so, of this, Arturo. Where can people connect with you in Big Game Air? Yeah. So uh, our website. Uh, you know, join, jump on the website and it has all the information there, has information about upcoming trips that we're doing and, and uh, also the opportunity for people to to just reach out and, and chat about custom trips and, and what they might have um, in mind. And, uh, and again, most of the stuff that we do now is actually really custom. So, um, you know, we do offer some off the shelf product where people can actually go buy individual seats. Uh, departing out of Chicago and we have some flights coming up this year coming out of New York and uh, some uh, we think that we're going to be doing out of Atlanta but um, most of it is is all custom and so small groups starting at six to you know up to you know 50 um, we can accommodate so yeah uh, let us know we'd be happy to uh, we'd be happy to help and talk you through any of these experiences that that we think are completely one of a kind and and some of them uh, you know once in a lifetime type things. And as always, I'd love to hear from you about this episode. I'd love to hear what your morning routine looks like. You can hit me up on Instagram at Rob underscore Cressy, on Twitter at Rob Cressy, or on LinkedIn. That's it. That's all, 